Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am your host, Steve Norman. I am joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And host of Underground Night, Paul Field. I'm only wearing pants. Mm. <laughs> I did think about the fact that we're probably all sitting around in pants. This is not one to do a live video podcast on, is it? I don't know. Something, something for the ladies. Are you fully clothed, Steve? No. no. Oh! <laughs> so I, I dread to ask this question. What are you wearing? <laughs> Just a sheet. <laughs> <laughs> just one bed sheet. No, just 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 underwear and shorts. I kind of imagine imagining like um, what's that uh, film with Sean Connery? Zardoz. Yes. You know where he's got the weird leather chaps and. Uh, not, I'm not wearing leather in this weather. No. And oh. even chafe. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Why is it? Why? A bit of talc would be fine. Country. Well, I think Owen's wearing an Onslow vest. The country's definitely. <laughs> Just as a literal <laughs> meltdown where the weather's slightly slightly too hot or too cold and the weather and the country just goes to part, doesn't it? Well, this isn't slightly too hot. This is unbearable for me. Mate, I, oh, it's literally not unbearable, but it's bad. It, no, it is unbearable. I've been sweating like a pregnant nun today. It's, it's absolutely it's the humidity. It's, it's the humidity. Uh, I like sl- sweating like a nun in a cucumber field. I've always thought that one was quite funny. Why would that be funny? What? Why would that be funny? What? Would, what's this nun gonna do with a cucumber? Um? Why would a nun? What? What? I don't understand. Would she, she like peckish? Would she fancies a salad? It's a really boring salad. I mean, she's I don't not, understand. She's allergic to cucumbers. Oh, such... Unless you're talking about a nun sticking a cucumber up her chuff. Whoa, 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 nobody oh. said anything like that, Paul. <laughs> no one made that insinuation. If you've made that connection in your mind, that's on you. That's not me. Is there fields of cucumbers? Oh, God, I nearly picked none for one of the things. <laughs> I thought that would no, that won't be funny. None on the what, run. What would you have picked it for? Is that our triple bill, perhaps? It may have been. Mm. <laughs> but what is, what is the triple bill? I'm trying to establish, like, trying to segue into what we're actually doing on the podcast. Oh, yeah, triple bill, because in relation to a film we're not reviewing this week... Um, mm-hmm. Which is Baby Driver. We've just said triple bill. What what would your dream jobs be like from films? So pick a film <laughs> character who's got a job. What what one would you want to do? Yeah. Okay. Three so of, basically, three of them. <laughs> basically, in the email, I said we would pick films in which you would kill to have the job of a specific character in that film. Which basically, what I mean is, you pick a job that you want that exists within the fictional world of a movie. Rather than say like cameraman or director or whatever, you know. So, for example, if you wanted to be the leader of the Rebel Alliance, a member of the X Men, 
or a member of uh, a, the squadron who take out zombies in Dawn of the Dead, for example, then you can. Alternatively, you could pick a more realistic film uh, job, like, uh, you know, if your dream job's to be an art film screenwriter, like Nick Cage in Adaptation, or a professional model, like in Zoolander, or if you wanted to drive a Mini Cooper around Turin with a bunch of Cockney geezers, then you could. That's what I was really getting at when I came up with the idea for the triple bill. It's whatever dream job you want that you've seen somebody else do in a movie, in a nutshell. That's what it is. Excellent. Um, we're going to start off with a quiz where Owen is hosting. I'm winning 2-0, and if I beat Paul, um, Owen's got to watch something terrible. Yeah, basically, I'm, I've gone back to the quiz that I did a few weeks ago with uh, Maya Brooker. And it didn't work trying to make me lose that time, and it's not going to work this time. Mm. Basically, you both start on two points each, and the idea is to be as close to zero points as you can be by the end of the quiz. Now, the way you, you go up or down in your points is if you guess the correct answer, you add one to your running total. If you guess the wrong answer, you minus one from your running total. So because you start on two, you could go down to one and then zero. Do you know what make it more interesting? What's that? If I started on minus two and Paul started on plus two. Do you want to do that? Are you happy with that, Steve? Uh, Paul? Yeah, I'll, I'll start on plus two. Yeah, okay. I'll start on minus two. Right, we'll do that then. Excellent. That is a good suggestion. That has improved the quiz, I think. Yeah, it will even more when I win. <laughs> mm. Right. Um, the other thing that happens is there are trick questions what? Um, within the quiz. Yes. So a trick question is a, a, a question where the, there is no correct answer. If you spot the, the trick question, you minus two points to get closer towards zero. So if you're on minus two and you guess a trick question, then you get straight up to zero. If you're on plus two, you go straight down to zero. Gabish? Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you don't spot a trick question, then you go one point further away from zero. Okay. If you incorrectly guess... A trick question. It's two points further away. Couldn't be clearer. Couldn't, it couldn't be, be clearer. clearer. Yeah. Okay, so Steve, you're on minus two. Paul, you're on two. First question. Jason Fleming, the director of upcoming horror comedy Eat Local, starred in which of the following sets of films? Did he star in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch and The Business? Welcome to the Punch, Kick-Ass and Layer Cake, Clash of the Titans, Stardust and Wrath of the Titans. Which of those sets of films did he star in? Steve. He was in the first set of films. Lockstock, Snatch and The Business. Yes. Okay. Paul, what do you think? So I need to get this wrong, don't I? You need to get this wrong. Okay, so I know he was in Lockstock, so not the first one, the second one. Welcome to the punch, kick-ass and layer cake. Yeah. Steve, you are wrong, and Paul, you are right. So you both move one point further away from zero. Steve is on minus three, Paul is on three. What? Yeah, you guessed correctly, Paul. I thought he was in Lockstock. He was in Lockstock, he was also in Snatch, but he wasn't in the business, which was the first set of three films. Oh, okay, I got you But he was in Welcome to the Punch, he was in kick-ass, he was in layer cake. Oh, fuck. Ah, there we go. <laughs> you cunning bastard. Yeah. Okay. Freema Ajman 
one of the vampires in Eat Local. Can you see what the theme of this week's quiz is? I can. Uh, yep. She also starred in the Wachowskis' uh, Netflix original, Sense8. But how many episodes in total of Sense8 were there? Was there 16 episodes? Were there 20 episodes? Or were there 23 episodes? And Paul, you might as well guess first this time. Uh, the, f- the first one. 16? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Steve? I want to also say 16. The correct answer was 23. So, Steve, you've dropped down to minus four. And, Paul, you've dropped down to two. Cool. Well, I thought yeah. there was 21, so I knew it was definitely wasn't 16. Yeah, there were two seasons. Um, so there were 22 episodes, but there the was Christmas a special. special. Yeah, yeah, so there were 23 episodes in total. Okay, Charlie Cox of Daredevil fame, also featured as a vampire in Eat Local. But which British TV series did he appear in the very first episode of was that Downton Abbey Broadchurch or Poldark Steve Poldark Poldark Downton Abbey and the correct answer is Downton Abbey oh for (laughs) fuck's sake (laughs) even when I need to get them wrong I'm getting them right so you're up to three and Steve (laughs) is minus five okay another actor featured in Eat Local is Ruth Jones but according to Forbes, what is her net worth? Is it $75,000, $175,000, or $750,000? And Paul, you can guess first. Who's doing the net worth? <laughs> That's the most bizarre thing. Uh, the first one. Okay. And Steve? Um, $175,000. Okay, uh, well, I can tell you that was a trick question because she oh, isn't for on Forbes. Oh, sake, of course. You should have gone with your first instinct there. I've, I'd actually forgotten about that part because it's been so long since you explained the rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, next question. Oh, Mackenzie Crook, who starred in The Office, of course, he also starred in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. But what is the combined IMDb rating for all five Pirates of the Caribbean films? Is it 30.1? Is it 36.1? Or is it 41.1? Steve, I think it's your turn to guess first. Um, B. B? Okay. And Paul? I'm going to go for (laughs) 30.1. That makes things interesting because the correct answer was B, 36.1, which means Steve goes up to minus five. And Paul, you are on three. You guessed incorrectly. Okay, what was the working title for Eat Local? Was it Bloodthirsty, was it Reign of Blood, or was it Bloodsuckers? Paul? Uh, the first one. Bloodthirsty. And Steve? Um, the third one. I know it was Reign of Blood. It was Reign of Blood, definitely. It was Reign of Blood, which means Steve is on minus six. Paul is on two. Paul, you've effectively won. There's no way for Steve to get back in this now. I've never won the I've, I've won a quiz. You've won. Mm-hmm. On two points. How how confident do you feel about next week, Steve? Where it could go to all? Depends how much you try and cheat. Oh! Uh, the accusations are flying again. <laughs> God, you too. I mean, Paul was on. I was thinking of doing another carry-on quiz, you know, in the spirit of things. But, you know, I decided against it. Well, yeah. <laughs> you don't sound very bitter about it no, at all. No, at all. No, Should no. we do the news now, then, lads? Well, that's generally how we do it. 
<laughs> two items of news this week from the world of film uh, that need some talking about. First of all, the directors of the Han Solo star, uh, standalone movie from the Star Wars um, universe have left the project with differences um, between them and uh, Disney being cited as the reasons. What do we make of that? Well, I mean, uh, it doesn't make any difference to me, of course, because I don't really have any hype towards it. Because you're a fun anyway. sponge. I'm yep. a fun sponge. Yeah, you hate Star Wars, Owen. Yeah, let's go with that. I mean, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller have made some okay movies. I'm not a hugely... Uh, I'm not a massive fan of Clodie with a Chance of Meatballs or the Lego movie, although they're kind of fun for what they are. 21 Jump Street is fine as well, I guess. But, you know... Yeah. I guess the, the the real question is for both of you guys. Are you at all disappointed that they're dropping out? They're leaving because of different creative visions for the Han Solo solo movie. Um, I don't know. It's a bit late in the day for these kind of changes to happen. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not even that bothered about a Han Solo origin film. I don't think we need one. It just no. Um, no, I think if they're going to tell origin stories or stories of of characters in the star wars universe not less more interesting people you could do about just as probably better origin stories you could tell um mm. or better stories you could tell instead you know you could do a film on not young obi-wan kenobi obi-wan kenobi what he was doing between um revenge of the sith and the new hope did he just what you know if he didn't just watch over luke if he did go off planet for different things um you could go really, really far back and go to the start of the Jedi Order thousands of years before the films were set. Mm. From what I remember, you were quite happy that Rogue One didn't tie so neatly into Star Wars lore, right? I mean, it didn't have it didn't have a Skywalker in it. No. It didn't have a well, Darth it did. Vader. In. Well, it had Darth Vader, but it didn't have... Um, and and who is a Skywalker, if you want to be pedantic. Okay. But yeah, I, yeah, you might as well be, because yeah. it clearly shows I know fuck all about what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Paul? As another Star Wars fan, do you know what? I'm actually pleased for them that they've they've got the kind of you know artistic credibility to be able to walk away from that Disney dollar. Because that's mm. that's a, you know that's a big thing to be able to walk away from this project. It's a big property, Star Wars. And if things got to the point where they really felt you know their integrity was being damaged or whatever, hats off to them. That's what I say. I think they're going to come out of this smelling of roses because, you know, when they get their next project, people are going to look at them, they're going to respect them, they're going to know that their integrity's there. Yeah, fair play. What do you think about the Han Solo standalone film, though, or Origin Story, whatever you want to call it? Uh, is he going to do the Kessel Run in, like, however oh, many parsecs Of it is? course that'll be in there, won't it? And him winning the Millennium Falcon off of Lando. Yeah. All the bits that we already know what happened will happen. It's just sort of like... Oof. I could, do you know what? I could take it or leave it, to be honest. I'll definitely go and wow. see it. Oh, yeah, of course. But it's just like, you know. This is from two guys who really, like, on those Star Wars episodes, you were both so enthused about Force Awakens and Rogue um, One. But that's because they were good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be good. It's just, I just think there's so many other characters, as Steve said, that this the huge universe, a huge sand bit to play in, and, you know, they've gone for, like, the most obvious one. I just want, I just want to see Tales from the Cantina. <laughs> Little, little, all those little characters in that canteen. I want to see all their little backstories. That'll be that'll be so much fun, rather than Han Solo. Well, I've got a question for both of you. That's just a bit on the 
off the cuff, but who would you like to see come in and direct the Han Solo film now? Because I, a couple of names that have been linked with it, Ron Howard has been linked well, with that, finishing off but the sure, Han Solo Surely film. that'd be a massive no. change in tone. If you've gone from two people who have directed comedies and kids' films to somebody who makes the kind of films that Ron Howard makes. Well, I mean, Ron Howard, he's done comedy stuff in the past. Yeah, I know, he's, I know he's done, but look at the kind of films he made recently. It seems like a bit of a, a, a tonal jump. Yeah, possibly. Okay, what about uh, Joe Johnston, who's been, um, who's been linked with it? So uh, he, he did uh, Captain America, First Avenger, The Rocketeer, Jumanji, I think was one of his as well. Well, old Jumanji or new Jumanji? Uh, the, the, the original Jumanji. See, that sounds more like the kind of person you'd want to do this kind of film. You've done America and kind of adventure films like that. Yeah, Rocketeer and stuff, and uh, Jurassic Park 3 as well was one of his, which we won't hold against him. Massive curve ball in here, but get one of the Korean guys in. Get Kim Ji Woon or Bong Joon Ho. That would yes. be amazing. Yeah. Easy. Kim Ji Woon, like, like a Star Warsy, good, the bad, the weird. Oh, come on. Mm. Who wouldn't pay to see that? Even even I would go and see that, like on opening day, I think, just to see Kim Ji Woon take on uh, something like that. Because I was I was I was thinking about um, the last stand the other day. You know, his film with um, Arnie in it, his first English language, which movie. I loved. It's great, isn't it's it? It's really good. It's it's quite underrated. It's actually there were like a really four of good... us in the cinema when that opened. Four of us. <sighs> That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, I really liked the last stand. I think you're right. If him, if he came in and did a good, the bad, and the weird version of uh, um, the Han Solo solo film, yeah, that would be awesome. That vibe is awesome. Mm. It's it, you know that film alone, you you could transpose that directly into the Star Wars universe. You've got the humor, the action, the big set pieces, beautiful cinematography. Ah, oh, yeah. be amazing. Well, Bong, Bong Joon Ho as well, the, the guy you just mentioned to go off on a slight tangent. His his new Netflix original movie, Okja. I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, that's been getting mad love. Lots mad love. Apart from, from the one. French. Apart from the French, are they not into yeah, it? They are not into it because, well, it was it was um, uh, entered into Cannes, wasn't it? Hmm. But it wasn't going to be getting a French cinematic release and right. the French got really sniffy and arsy about it. Hmm. Of course, yeah. yeah. They said, you know, uh, online-only movies shouldn't be considered for, for competition. Mm. Just get over yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, what year are you living in? Netflix is killing movies, Paul. Cranked with a pianist at the front, you know. <laughs> so, Paul, back uh, come come December when episode eight is out, is it going to be me, you, and Chris Packett? Yeah, again? of course it is. It's not going to be me, is it? Go. No, basically, you're not allowed. allowed. You're banned. Yeah. Uh, the other bit of news is that uh, Daniel Day Lewis has retired from acting. Unless has he retired or flounced? Well, he might just be method act, uh, you know, doing some method acting <laughs> and researching playing the part of a retired actor. <laughs> yeah, well, he's um, he's only got one more film that's due out, which is uh, around Christmas time, I think. Phantom Thread, film by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, which, as far as I know, it's just about the fashion industry in fifties London, something like that. Um, I, I mean, I. Uh, He's a, he is a good actor. There's no denying he's a good actor, but I don't really care, to be honest. Fair enough. You've retired. Great. You've earned a lot of money. 
Um, you've won three Oscars, uh, God knows how many BAFTAs. Fair play. You know, you get to 60 years old and you think I'm done. You don't need to work again. Then don't, if that's what you really want to do. Fair play to him, I think. Yeah. But he he has got form for this in terms of in the 90s, he semi-retired. Um, he basically said, I'm, I'm quitting the acting business. And what I'm really going to do, what my aspiration is, is to become a shoemaker in Florence, in Italy. And that's what he did. Honestly, yeah. I and then just he do was, without it. Scorsese got him back again for Gangs of New York. He came back into the acting business. Well, um, you know, I'm sure if he's doing, you know, a couple of months' work every five years, it must be really exhausting for him. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he is 60, so... Do you know what? He's he's not far off a pension anyway. How old are you now, Paul? Not 60. <laughs> do, do you know what? I, I, I read this and do you know what I thought? Do you know what? I couldn't give a flying fuck. Yeah, fair enough. He's 60 years old, he's earned his wedge and he's out of the game. Fair, fair play. Time now for what we've been watching where we have a look at some films we've seen outside of the cinema in the last week or so. This week we have all seen the same thing which is the new British vampire film, Eat Local. Paul, you managed to get us this, uh, so why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, I knew this was coming uh, a while ago. Um, it's a British horror comedy, and uh, I saw the trailer, looked at the cast and thought, this looks great, because we haven't had a really good kind of British horror comedy for a while. I think once lesbian vampire killers dropped, <laughs> it fucking ruined it mm. for everyone because that was utter shit. But then you go back to things like, you know, Severance and Doghouse, and they were fantastic and I loved them. So I was so pleased to see um, a new one on the horizon. And I think the first thing you need to kind of mention on in this film is the cast. You've got Charlie Cox from Daredevil, Freema Adjuman from Doctor Who and Sense8, Mackenzie Crook from, from The Office, Dexter Fletcher, who's, you know, from loads of stuff, Eve Miles from Torchwood, Ruth Jones from Gavin and Stacey, Vincent Reagan, who is a legend in all the geezer movies, and, of course, Annette Crosby from One Foot in the Grave. So that is an absolutely bang-on ensemble cast. But what I didn't realise from the trailer was... This is actually kind of a like a classic British farce mm-hmm. with a vampire twist. And do you know what? I absolutely loved it. I, re- I, I haven't laughed so much in absolutely ages. Um, Steve, what did, what, what did you think? What were your first impressions? Yeah, it was good fun. It was a bit of a laugh, a bit silly, which is probably meant to be. That wasn't meant as a you know, degenerative tale. It was, it was probably meant to be a bit silly. It, there wasn't a great deal of plot, but it... It worked. Um, it was fun. It was funny. It, it was, yeah, it was good. Well, Owen very graciously kind of opened there with the, with the, with the quiz around the film. And it's, it's the first time um, direction from, from Jason Fleming, mm. who I'm not going to lie, I knew his name, but I couldn't picture him. And then I looked him up and I thought, oh, oh right. from Lockstock. And yeah, I, could, I, could, I just couldn't picture him. That's funny because that's basically you sent us details of the screener that you had for the film, and uh, I saw like I think Jason Fleming's name was the first thing I saw attached to this, and I was like, "Ah, oh, Jason Fleming's directed this. That's interesting. I really like Jason Fleming." And then you know you look at everyone else and you think Charlie Cox is in this. They got Free Madman, 
I mean, Mackenzie Crook? Okay, this is going to be quite decent. The cast was what drew me into it, basically, is what I'm trying, yeah. trying to get at. Should we, should we set the plot up? Yeah, tell us what, what happens in it then, Paul. What goes so on? So you've got... It's, it's, it's pretty much one location, bar a bit, bit at the start and the end, but you've got Britain's vampires, or the vampire leaders, and they meet up once every 50 years, and they are missing a member, and um, they bring along uh, a new guy who they hope to sort of bring into the, the vampire group, um, which is played by a guy called Billy Cook. I have seen him before, but it was mainly, in, I think it was in like some Hooli porn stuff. I think he's in Green Street 3. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's David Essex's son, by the way. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I thought he fucking just at the scene of I thought he absolutely smashed it. Like, I genuinely thought he was really, really good. He was so cocky. Really, really funny. And to put him centre stage against that whole established cast, I thought that that worked really well, rather than having, you know, a big name. And to have him come in as a, almost like a fish out of water, surrounded by by this vamp, all the vampires, I thought that was... Th- there were lots of laughs there. Because he it took him a while to click what was going on, and I thought that worked really, really well. Okay, we're going to get to this because you two both really like this film, and I mean, I'm outnumbered. I didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought I might because of the cast. I thought, in fact, I mean, I just didn't didn't get on with it particularly well. But there there was one scene with um, Sebastian that did work quite well. I thought, which was when he was outside the train station at the beginning, and there's two local youths, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just winding him up a little bit. And it was a bit... He, before he gets into the taxi with Eve Miles and he hands them his can of lager. And I thought that was quite a funny, like, just a little thing. But that was that was kind of kind of funny. But, I mean, ulti- ultimately... I mean, I don't... I don't want to sound incredibly negative about this because, clearly, I'm outnumbered on this. But... It just wasn't that funny. And I think that was the, the biggest problem for me. You know, humour's subjective and all that, and what makes one person laugh doesn't necessarily make anyone else laugh, but I just wanted more jokes or better quality jokes. I don't think it was the frequency of the jokes that was the problem. It's just like the, uh, some of the humour is kind of broad. And I, yeah. and I don't mean that in a completely disparaging way, but sometimes... Slapstick humor is just, it just didn't. There's, there's stuff like him falling down on a chair, jumping into a window, and it's closed. And I just thought, oh, it was just a bit flat. I just Do thought, give, given the cast, uh, given the, I mean, I know it's J- uh, Jason Fleming's first time directing, but I've seen him be really funny in things. You know, I've seen him be fantastic on screen. I thought behind the camera, he just didn't have the same kind of flair for it. Oh, I've got, I'm going to have to completely disagree because I, I haven't laughed so much in, in quite some time. And, and there, were, like, there were three kind of jokes in films. The, the, the jokes you see coming that are, that are still funny, the jokes you don't see coming at all, and then the jokes you see coming that aren't funny, which mm-hmm. nobody wants to see. 
And I just thought, so many times they caught me out in this film. When Dexter Fletcher has that bucket on his head, I haven't laughed so much in absolutely ages. And I don't know why. It just t- really, really tickled me and I couldn't stop laughing. And then what, what happens next, again, I didn't see coming. And there were loads of stuff like that. When, you know, when they're in that basement and he opens that fridge, there's no way you saw that coming. You just, no way. And I just thought it was absolutely amazing. I, I'm Honestly, I was in absolute bits. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of like... But as you say, comedy is subjective. It's subjective, isn't it? I mean, I can't, I can't say what is and what isn't funny. All I can say is what didn't, didn't make me laugh and eat local. I just, I just kept hoping it was going to get better. I kept seeing like grains of like, this is now going to turn into the film that I want it to be. And perhaps that's the problem. Perhaps each time I just kept setting an expectation beyond what is ultimately achievable with a £1.6 million budget for a small-scale comedy. Well, I thought that was the best stuff. I, that was where I was laughing the most, when he was he was that fish out of water, surrounded by vampires, didn't have a clue. They, they were all in on the joke, and I, I just thought, I thought it was genius. And, and I... But, I said this before, it reminded me of Death at a Funeral, but with vampires. It had that feel to it, and that cast, they carried it. I thought they were all outstanding. They, they, they're all re- they're all the top of the game. They're, they're all established actors. This wasn't like a low-budget shit flick, you know, full of mates having a, having a lark about. It was really well-made. And I, Steve, come on, help us out here. <laughs> probably somewhere in, in the middle because I wasn't rolling around laughing at it at any point, but I did find it funny. It was a really well-put-together little film, I thought. Some of the characters, not the characters, but some of the, the plot could have been fleshed out a bit better, maybe. But, um, yeah. Well, was... that, that's the issue, though, isn't it? Because the the plot is... It's very light. There isn't really so much of yeah, a plot. But when you're dealing with a single location, you don't need, you know, the plot is there's a load of vampires trapped in there, there's a load of geezers outside who want to kill them. Um, and I, and I, The story can be quite small scale, but, you know, mm. things have to happen, and that's what I mean, like, the plot was quite light, that things weren't happening uh, very quick or particularly... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the... The story is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's set inside a small like farmhouse, right? They're a bunch of vampires. They're trying to add a new person to their council um, of eight. They've got. They keep like mentioning there's this thing like this tension with Europe. So I mean, there's obviously some kind of metaphor going on here for uh, like quite a contemporary thing a bit. And I don't know when the film was actually written. I don't know if it was written. You know. Presumably, it had to be written about 12 months ago. So it was probably written at the height of the kind of Brexit thing. Um, Did you so not the, pick up on the name of the family who owned the farm? Didn't see the picture in the bedroom. Well, what yeah. was the name? The uh, Thatchers. Oh, uh, Thatchers. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's trying to work that stuff into the plot, but then it doesn't make much of a statement with it, which, again, is something that it could have done, it could have been heavier on. Because I if think it's you're, not gonna, you're if reading it's gonna too be a... much into this, though. And when, you, when you're dealing with like a classic British farce, mm. it's going to be silly and nonsensical a lot of the time, and you, you, you're not watching it for, for, for the plot and the storyline. Well, what, usually... what was its statement then? What was its statement about Brexit? What was it trying to say about it? 
I don't think it was trying to say anything. I well, just exactly. Was... So why include it if it's got nothing to say on it? And if it's got something to say on it, I just don't think it was made. But what? But why include? Well, it just it just mentioned some other vampires who were in Europe. Rather than in yeah, to try and make it feel contemporary. But and did, I think but, if it's but how do you know? Maybe he just did that because he wanted to give a sense that vampires were a global thing rather than just a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily. Steve's I think... right on this. I think you're reading too much into it. It was just to give a sense of these were the, these were the UK vampires, but there were vampire clans all over the world because uh, they even they even mention it, don't they? They say in the UK. We're we're on an island and we have a limited. And when supply. they were saying about the guy they wanted to bring in being like Romany gypsy heritage, so like mentioning mm. do the, the, I think different the bloodlines and everything. And I think it was just trying to flesh out the vampire world more than it was trying to make some clever reference to Brexit. I got I got the very distinct feeling it was about Brexit because they talk about the problems with Europe, right? The problems that they're experiencing with like the bureaucratic process in you. Well, I don't know what the exact term, I can't remember the exact term off the top of my head, but they talk about the problems of like, oh, you can't do that unless you get it approved. You know, stuff like that is like, that's a very, that's a very subtle way of mentioning problems with you. But I just don't understand what its statement was. I don't know if it was trying to make a statement, which I think it was. I think it was just a bit muddled, that's all. What did you think of the performances though? I, I like Tony Curran a lot. Tony Curran was good. Yep. Um, Charlie Cox felt like he was in a different film to everyone else. I really? Think he was the, I think he was playing it very straight, whereas most everybody else realised the kind of film they were in. Mm-hmm. Who 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 stole who stole the show for you? Yeah, it was um, Tony Curran. Oh, okay. It was the one who had the most personality. It wasn't again. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say really negative about it. It's the problem. I mean, I mean, I I didn't enjoy it very much, but I don't, I didn't hate it at any point. I didn't hate the people in it. I, again, I like the. I don't think anyone was bad. I just thought that some of the characters were. I mean, for example, we mentioned before we started recording uh, Annette Crosby, right? Who was um, the elderly one, the pensioner, who's a vampire, and stuff like seeing her sitting down at the table knitting and stuff. I just you mentioned that the 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 trope of the wrapping granny. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's a really hard one to pull off, but I thought she just about managed it because the stuff she did, okay, she was knitting, but you saw the needles in the mirror and that's when he realised that, that they were all vampires and I, th- I thought that was really clever. Mm, and she... the stuff when she comes out with her Zimmer, it, that, that's what I talk about. You know when you say you could see the joke coming, they're still mm. funny? So when she comes out with the Zimmer, you, you know exactly what's going to happen, but I still thought it was hilarious. Okay, well, that's... That's fine. <laughs> you, I mean, like, I can't tell you what it is. God, what, I mean, you what? hate fun. I am just, a, like we said earlier, a fun sponge. Can we, can we mention Dexter Fletcher? Because I, I love Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> I just thought... No, did you not? You must have enjoyed that, because I thought he was hilarious. I hoped he would be in it more, to be honest, because he wasn't really in the first half of the film, was he? It's only, no. It's only that, after, even like, that reveal cracked hmm. me up. Because I just didn't see that coming. Steve, do you want to have the final word on this? It's a good independent British film that's well worth just under an hour and a half of your time. If you like comedy, if you like British comedy and farces, you'll you'll like this um, or should like this. It's got a good cast. It's not perfect by any means, but it's it's well worth watching. Like me and Paul, I think you'll enjoy it.
And that was uh, Eat Local. Time now for Triple Bill, uh, where this week we are picking our three movie dream jobs. Um, as Owen explained so eloquently earlier on in the podcast. Yeah, films, jobs that exist within the fictional world of a movie, as opposed to jobs working on films kind of thing. So I perhaps took a different tack to this because I was thinking about what a dream job in a movie would be. And you think about superheroes, and you think, well, that's not actually their job. They don't get paid for it. And then I thought to things like, you know, also, if you're going to pick something like Getaway Driver or Superhero, if you can find one that does get paid for it, or the jobs are incredibly stressful. There's a lot of danger <laughs> and a lot of mm-hmm. risk. It's not really a dream job. I imagine if, if you were, you know, even if you were like the, the best... MI5 agent or something, it's still yep. going to be quite stressful because people are going to be trying to kill you a lot. What I did think for my first first one would be just just teacher at Charles Xavier's school for gifted children, but like not one of the like the like uh, like Cyclops or Storm, like a second t- like someone who's got some <laughs> powers, but like either a really common one or just like a not so really good one like so you're never yeah. called up to like being the x-men so like you've got a bit of telepathy but charles xavier's got that and loads of other ones have got that so you're not actually ever needed you just teach the kids um <laughs> you you might have a bit of an influence over some of them in their development as people which would be quite good and quite rewarding you might even get to be like logan's best mate and go out drinking with him <laughs> Um, and you get the summers off. Yeah, that's true. And Christmas off. Yeah, a lot of marking though, probably. Yeah, but I think it's worth it in the end because you can use your telepathy, a little bit of telepathy, to help with the marking. That's all the telepathy you need to help get your job done. It's interesting you've gone for... T- I would have gone for flying. Just, just you can fly. Yeah, but you might get asked to do stuff then. If you can fly... Yeah, maybe. Mm. If you can fly and the X-Men need to reach something high up, you get yeah. asked, aren't you? You, you can oh, fly, we, but you've got a bit of a bad back, and you know, or your knee, your, your tricky knee is acting up today. You can, so. you can, you can fly, but only six foot off the ground. <laughs> that is your power. <laughs> so you're never actually needed for anything. Yeah. Um, but you just teach at the school. So you that, would su- you would suffer an awful lot of like anti mutant abuse as well. You would you would have that to deal with. You know. Mutants yeah. aren't looked on kindly in that world. Yeah, but you but but you live at the school, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have any of the you don't have to go and like meet normal people. And when you do, all your power is a little bit of telepathy. So you don't actually have to like they're not looking at you like you're beast and you're blue. Mm. And because you're not one of the actual X Men who are like in the probably on the news and on the telly a bit as well, you're not actually seen as much or at all. So people don't know you're a mutant. So you're all right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good pick, actually. And I imagine it pays well. Would this be? Would you be self-employed? Is this a full-time position? <laughs> How does this work? It's a full-time teaching position. Mm-hmm. Okay. At, at Charles Xavier's School for Gifted. Can you unionize to the National Union of Teachers? The National Union of Mutant Teachers. National Union Mutant Teachers. National Union of the Teachers. The NUMT. They, yeah. <laughs> you part of that. Yeah, probably mm-hmm. a mutant Corbin running round with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's that's my first pick. 
Owen, what's your first pick? My first pick is both a job in a film and a job working on films. Have either of you seen um, Peter Strickland's movie from 2012, Barbarian Sound Studio? Yes. No. Yeah. Okay, in it, Toby Jones plays a sound recordist mm-hmm. uh, who travels to Rome, uh, I think it's in the 70s, to work on uh, recording sound effects for a horror film. Yeah. Yeah, oh, not a horror film. He doesn't call it a horror film. He calls it a Santini film, doesn't he? It gets cross if people call it a horror film, uh, which is basically just a giallo. Uh, th- things go a bit pear-shaped in the film, so to speak, as the kind of plot progresses and things aren't really as they seem. Um, you know, in regards to the plot of the film, I did kind of lose my grasp of what actually was happening as it went on because it's purposefully designed to kind of disorientate the audience, but I just think if someone now were to tell me they were going to pay me wages that I could comfortably live on to go and stab lettuce in time with an on-screen murder and then just sync up the sound in post-production and then do that for a living, I think I would bite their hand off. I think I'd say, yes, dream job, I'll have that. Just try and ignore all the crazy murdering that's going on around you. Um... But it just, I think part of it is because Peter Strickland clearly knows how to like totally utilize sound uh, to his advantage when he makes these films and when he made the Stone Tapes for Radio Four recently, and he makes Bavarian Sound Studio. We- weirdly, he makes it look like such an incredibly appealing job to do. If you can ignore the sinister goings on of that place, so yeah, I think my dream job would be working on. Sound recordings for Giallo films in the 70s in Rome. I just think that would be awesome. Nice. But, I mean, I'm going to have to revise this list because Andy Alcock sent in a suggestion. He sent in a couple suggestions on Twitter. But he said being a troll hunter in Norway, which I think basically trumps any of my suggestions. I think that is just a fucking awesome idea. That would have been my pick. So congratulations, Andy. I think you win this triple bill, whatever we come up with next. <laughs> Oh, no, maybe not. not Maybe not next, but my last one's pretty good. Um, Well, my my first pick is um, if you follow me on Twitter, you you will have seen that there's something I buy a lot of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also a big fan of, of making lists. I love lists. I love looking at other people's lists. So I've gone for John... Cusack's character in High Fidelity who runs a record shop and I know this is supposed to be dream jobs and that's kind of setting my aspirations quite (laughs) low Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but he he gets to work with these great guys who are a couple of idiots but you know and mercilessly sort of tease the customers come in there but he loves records you can see he loves collecting the records and when I'm watching that film even last night, and I and I rewatched it again, really kind of focusing on not what was going on in the film, on what records were on the shelves in the store, trying to point them out and work out which ones <laughs> I had. And I could there were two 12 inches on huge tunes. I could see them in the back, and it was fucking driving me nuts because I couldn't work out what they were. That was actually one of the ones I picked for you for. Later. Oh, don't really? You've got to save yeah. that. Oh, I, I didn't actually pick films. I just picked occupations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, 
But would the thing is, would I? It's not really about a record shop owner, though, is it? It's about his relationships and, all, and him visiting all his ex-girlfriends and stuff. But when he is in the shop, I'm trying to think, would I be a massive bastard and mercilessly sort of tease my customers and, and you know, and treat them as morons? I think probably not. Although I might be I, thinking I do it. at work. What's it? I, I tell people quite often I treat all my customers equally with contempt. So if when they came when they come in and they want a specific caravan or a specific chemical <laughs> toilet, and if they don't know about the latest six birth with the with the deluxe macerating toilet, you you mercilessly rib them, do you? If they don't know what they want, mm. then the stupidest one we get, right? And this is this, so for, if people turn up in their motorhomes or or towing caravans or whatever, right? And our pitches are different sizes. And when we're busy, so it's only really the smaller pitches that are left. And someone will say, "I've had a look on your website. It says the pitch left is five meters long. My motorhome's eight meters long. Will it fit on there?" Mm. No, it fucking won't. What do you think, you fucking twat? Are you, you customer service skills was your recent qualification, right? I've got I've got a certificate yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah. Entitles you to call them fucking twats, I guess. I they don't call them that, I just think that. <laughs> Thinking that, yes. Okay, yeah. misunderstood. I thought you were saying that on the yeah. phone to them. No. Yeah. I want to, trust me, <laughs> I'd love to. Like what you know, anyway, the general public just wind me up. Go on, Steve, what's your second one? So my second choice is um from the from the fantastic film Goal Two, I want to be um, the, the the character of Gavin Harris, who plays for Real Madrid in England, and he's the star player. Because I'd love to be a footballer, <laughs> and I didn't want oh to pick. I didn't want to, and I didn't want to pick the person from Goal One uh, because then they played for Newcastle, and I don't want to live there. <laughs> I'd much rather live in Madrid. Yeah, you can get your so, taxes paid for you by your club. Perfect. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can yeah. I just say, Steve, you know the bloke in my office who doesn't like films? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I said to him what we were doing and, and, I, and I mentioned this and and uh, I said, well, we've got to guess what what each other's going to pick. And he and he actually said that you would go for goal. No way. He did. <laughs> I've gone on a, a similar man, I've... level, but not. I haven't picked I goal. didn't go for that, though. Uh. <laughs> I didn't even feel I was like, no, he won't do that. It's too obvious. <laughs> No, because like I said, I was thinking of things that wouldn't be stressful or dangerous because they wouldn't be a dream job. Mm. I wouldn't enjoy going to work if I thought I might die. Like, if I was good at it, like, if I was the best spy going, I'd quite happily work for MI5, but I probably wouldn't enjoy it that much because people would try and kill me all the live long day. And that's not something that would be pleasant. There's probably quite a lot of pressure to play for Real Madrid as their star player. Nah, not for me. Not for you. Not for someone of your ability. No. Your nickname is Buddha at the football, Steve. That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine, like, 80,000 all going, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. Every night when I go to sleep. It's for his, it's for his zen yeah. calmness in front of God. Yeah. yeah. So what's, uh, what's your um, uh, the second choice, Owen? I had to pick a job that's about making contact with an alien species. Because I had to. That would be the dream job, right? I can. Did you, for fuck's sake! You're, you're, this is. I've gone nowhere near on my list so far. <laughs> I just thought that would be the coolest job. So I considered possibly being the linguist 
in Arrival that gets to kind of communicate with the first ever alien species that lands on the planet. What kind of linguist? A cunning linguist? A cunning linguist, indeed. That's mm. what I. That's what I am anyway. So that's not my dream job. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Owen says you're not a cunning linguist. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, no one has ever described me as a cunning linguist. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get off. Stop the podcast. It's over. Just, just stop. <laughs> oh dear. I just want to go to bed, hold a hot water bottle, and cry. Oh man. Oh god, I need to tear I need one of those men in black mind wiping things. <laughs> Oh, oh, God. Oh, God, I think I'm going to faint from this heat now. <laughs> oh, I just laugh too much. So, Sorry, Harry. <laughs> the other job I considered along that line was being a part of the Enterprise in Star Trek First Contact. But then I thought about that again, and that would probably be like working, basically working in an office, but in space, which I thought would be quite boring. So in the end... I settled on being aboard the spaceship Endurance in Interstellar. So, you know, aside from the fact that there's obviously a food shortage on Earth and the planet is effectively dying, and then basically you have to leave everyone you know and love forever to never come back, I still think it would be kind of cool to be one of the first people who, like, travels across space using this new interstellar technology. I thought that'd be quite quite fun. And it'd be different to most other films of that ilk because usually, it's still, you know, if you think of something like Event Horizon, you basically just unleash hell on your spaceship. That's not fun. So, yeah, Interstellar, I thought, would be kind of cool, being one of the people that travels into outer space, seeks out a new place where humanity can grow, and you discover things that no person in the history of the species has ever discovered before, um, you know, without perhaps having to die or get stranded on a moon somewhere a la Matt Damon yeah so that was my second choice I thought something that involves communicating or f- the first kind of contact with another species and yeah uh, I thought Interstellar would be the safest pick of the lot blimey so a bit that wider was, the mark for what you've guessed I guess um, um, yeah that's quite, that's, that's, that's quite deep is my, my second one Los Angeles the San Fernando Valley mid 70s <laughs> Dirk Diggler I knew you were with his do this. ten inch fucking cock pounding the shit out of loads of porn actresses. Yeah, that I, I I'd quite like to do that. That'd be quite good. That was def that was on my list for you. Ah, uh, bugger, I thought yeah. it would be. I thought it was so obvious, but I thought if I don't do it, they're all gonna moan. Yeah. <laughs> but come on. <laughs> it did did look good fun, didn't it? I don't think so. I think he looked like an incredibly depressed and upset hollow shell of a person. But, you know, whatever. No, he didn't. The no. only slight issue is it with it is the fluffer. Mm. Now, can you get a lady fluffer or does it have to be a man fluffer? Well, according to Twitter, it's got to be Steve. That was Steve's dream job. He suggested I don't want <laughs> What? I have to have Steve fluffing me? Yep. That's no, the, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. I want to get off. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> oh, he might not even file his nails. Chew him. Chew him after. <laughs> you chew them after. <laughs> that won't just, be that. Just, that get un, just get under the nail. 
it's, it's taking oh, a turn God. for the worse. I'm sorry, it's taking a turn for the worst. <laughs> However, mm. because of when those films were shot, in the most meta thing ever on a podcast, those films would have been shown at my uncle's cinema in The Penguin. They would have been in, in the, the Penguin. The 70s. <laughs> yeah, The Penguin, which we, people, are, they just have to listen to Undergrade Nights, the recent episode with you and Mollinger. <laughs> Talking about imagine, mopping the floor. Can you imagine my Uncle Don with his mop and I was the guy on screen? Oh, there's something kind of perverse about that fantasy. Mind I have to blown. Say. That's not a dream job anyone should ask for. Quite. Go on, Steve. What's your number one? Um, well, I didn't do it in any particular order, so this might not necessarily be my number one. I, I struggled with this one because I was struggling to keep my theme of jobs that weren't dangerous or would cause me any risk. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I'd just go all out, have some fun with the last one. So I just went for being Tony Stark because it just seems like he does have a lot of fun with what he's doing as well, even with the danger. It completely goes against what I was going for, but everything past footballer and teacher at X-Men school seemed a bit boring. (laughs) I thought I'd have to have some danger in my life. And I just thought, you know, he, he gets to be Iron Man, even though he doesn't get paid for it. He gets to be Iron Man, um, and he got he's got everything he could want. Um, he can get women when he wants. He's got all the money in the world. He's quite cool. He's in, yeah. He's also responsible for genocide, because you know he oh. produced weapons of mass destruction before he was Iron Man. Well, I'll be him after. That, <laughs> you take it. You didn't say. You, you didn't say at what point I had to take on the mantle of being. I guess person, I didn't. So I'll do yeah. it, was I'll this do just your way of like? Tupping Gwyneth Paltrow. Could you not have picked another film she was in where you didn't have to wear an iron suit? No. No. I perhaps no. What's your th- final choice, Owen? Okay, so basically, much like my job aboard Endurance, seeking out new worlds, another job that I thought would be fun would be hunting ghosts, right? Because I mean, as much fun as it would be to chase ghosts in Ghostbusters. I think living in that kind of 24-7 goofy world would get a bit grating. You know ghosts aren't real, though. Well, right? in the f- it's in the fictional world of this film, right? That's the job you're going for. So if you're taking on a job as, as Iron Man, you are going to have to fight aliens from other dimensions and team up with gods, you know, like Thor and stuff. They're probably not real. But ghosts in this world are real. So I thought, instead of Ghostbusters, I think if you're going to have a job hunting ghosts, you might as well take on one that's a fucking good one. One where you're going to see proper scary ghosts. I thought maybe Patrick Wilson's job in The Conjuring would be quite fun. But also, at the same time, akin to what you were talking about earlier, Steve, would be fucking terrifying and probably very dangerous. However, have you have you guys seen Insidious? Yeah. So, you yep, know, yep, yep. you know, the old woman who's a psychic who like travels into other dimensions, hunting demons and stuff. Yeah. She has a couple of demonologists who work with her called Specs and Tucker. I would take a job working with those guys. That's the job I would I would have. Go around to all these houses. Because they they are a two man team and mm-hmm. they obviously don't need a third person or they'd get a third person in. So what would your job? And you're not taking over their role. You said you'd work with them. So what are <laughs> you, you actually? What what are you actually doing? Are you just driving them? Are you 
you know, no, just... I'm going to set stuff up. I'm going to hunt the ghosts with them. I'm going to record all the stuff. But they don't need you to. They wouldn't hire you. They're not looking for anyone. It's a, I can be their, their third wheel. That's fine. I'll join uh, up with them. I think if you're going to hunt ghosts, there's no point doing it on your own. Because you will. But they're die. not. There's two of them. But there's two of them. And the Three old woman. It, you know, extends the odds of being killed, doesn't it? Too many cooks and all that. Do you think so? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think it would be quite fun. And you get to see proper scary ghosts instead of Slimer, who eats your sandwiches and stuff. Wow. So that was that was my final choice. Hunting ghosts, I thought, would be quite fun. Okay, and Paul, your final choice? Ooh, well, you see, this guy... Was that your scary ghost was... noise where you went, ooh? Yeah. Ooh. ooh. This guy, bit of a legend, I'm told. I get to spend 21 million quid a year on booze. I get to eat Danish pork, Iranian caviar, Chinese melons and Japanese Kobe beef. I get to spend a million pounds a year on cigarettes, even though I don't smoke. I've got my own 35 million pound ski resort, an 8 million pound yacht, 20,000 DVDs and Blu-rays and my own thousand seat cinema, a hundred cars. My house, well, one of them has five fucking runways, a private golf course. I have 17 palaces, a private train station, and a private jet. You, Richie, Rich, you know Rich, my... Richie Rich didn't have a job. I was going to no, say, you're going to be set blatter in United Passions. No. And do you know what my private jet's called? Air Force Un. Because I'm going to be Kim Jong Un from the interview. <laughs> oh, dear. The dictator of North Korea. He's partying big time. He gets his friends over. They have apparently seven star parties. I thought five was the maximum. Six was pushing it. I don't even want to know what goes on at a seven star party. <laughs> there is a downside to this. Well, you have to be friends like, with Dennis Rodman. You do have to be friends with Dennis Rodman. And then obviously you have to get involved with extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape forced abortions, other sexual violence, persecution, prolonged starvation and kidnap. And you also have to kill your Uncle Don with dogs. You do, <laughs> yeah. although that didn't happen. However, I get to spend 21 million quid on booze. <laughs> yes. So I want to be Kim Jong-un from the <laughs> interview. Uh, okay, <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> wants to be a goblin hunter for fuck's sake at least I'm going to get laid <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh, um, to bring this bill to a close Paul had the idea earlier that we'd try and predict what um, everybody went for with their three choices I really struggled with this because I, I was saying to Paul earlier Owen I, despite speaking mm -hmm. to you guys quite regularly I don't really know too much about you. Charming. <laughs> so I really, so I really struggled to get like a third. Third. I mean, for Owen, I come up with I come up with two for both of you, and the first one for Paul was obviously quite accurate because I guessed it spot on. With uh, John Cusack in High Fidelity, I that I actually went for that. Well done. So that was, and the, I'm, I'm impressed. And the other one I went mm. with, I thought, well, like me, you've done your your football team running. Um, so you might want to be a really top-level sports coach, so Al Pacino in any given Sunday. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Paul, I had Dirk Diggler, obviously. Obviously. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. You really? I did, I did. I've got it here <laughs> written down on my list. Oh, fuck. Yep. 
straight away. That was one of the first I put down. Oh, God. I also yeah. had um, James Bond, but not like mm -hmm. introspective Bond of later years. I'm thinking the fun super spy Bond of the 70s. That's what I thought you would go for. Um, the one who's not guilty about sleeping with loads of random women around the world. That kind of mm. Bond. Uh, I also had Eyeball Paul from Kevin and Perry Go Large oh. as a superstar DJ in Ibiza. I thought that might be your dream job. Pretty good. That's pretty good, though. Uh, Owen, I went with two types of the same job, and I know you're trying to get into to journalism, and that's what you're studying. So I thought uh, Mark Ruffalo's character in Spotlight. Okay. And then Clark Kent. And then Clark Kent. Because he's a journalist. He's a journalist and Superman. Okay, I get to be Superman as well. Just not, not just Clark Kent. Clark Kent, you're also Superman, cool. but you're not being paid to be Superman. No, that's good. I'll take that. I'll take both of those. I, do you know what? I feel really bad now because I didn't actually pick films. I just picked the occupations. Yeah. But you could, they're, they're all, you, they're, all of them have films attached, but I just didn't buy. So who do you want first, Owen? Yeah. Yes, please. Owen, I, well, first of all, I had you as a radio DJ, but, and in brackets, not one of the noncy ones from the 70s. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, so <laughs> so smashy or noisy. Exactly, <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, oh, uh, then I had you as a guitarist, uh, and in brackets, Nirvana. Yeah, there's been a semi-biographical movie made. There has. Then. Last Days, I think it was called, Gus Van Sant. Yeah, and, and the last was really boring, because I had you done as a newsreader. A newsreader? What, Anchorman? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Oh, you'd be great as a newsreader. You could do your fires in Oxford. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Which you did set, by the way. Unsubstantiated claim. Uh, yeah. I just happened to be the right place at the right time. Before at the, the right time, yes, I mean, that's of course. Okay, and um, what did you both pick for me? Well, Steve. Dare I ask? <laughs> mine are really boring. I had you down as a Jedi. I thought you'd pick Jedi. I thought that was nailed on. Too much danger. <laughs> then I had you down as the England manager, <laughs> and, and and full Mike Bassett, by the way. That's exactly what I've got for him as well, Mike Bassett, England manager. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and and a hitman, just hit just man. killing yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, Steve. Because you know money. you've got no like, no empathy and no sympathy no. and <laughs> just no. cold. I do, cold. just not with strangers. <laughs> How long have you been doing this podcast with Steve Owen? Mm, too long. Five years. Five years. No empathy. Cold as fuck. Yeah. Kill those motherfuckers for bringing their eight-metre caravans to your five-metre <laughs> There spots. you go. Well, I, I also obviously had Mike Bassett, England manager. I didn't go for Iron Man, but I did go for Batman. Ooh. So that you can put into practice those skills that you displayed that one time when you foiled a kerfuffle in, in a kebab shop. Yeah. And um, I also went for Matt Damon in The Martian. I thought you might have uh, a bit of fun. Matt Damon. Yep. I'd probably be quite happy being on my own for that long. Yep, being on your own, growing your own potatoes. You'd have a cock like day. a fucking pepper army under a blowtorch. Yeah. i tell you what, that bath would be sorted out if he was on his own. <laughs> oh, mm. nice. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, what else did people pick? Um, like, what was on your shortlist? I'm, I'm curious. I didn't have a shortlist. I stopped when I got the free. Yeah. I did have stuff, but I, I, I ripped yeah. the page out where I crossed all the stuff out. I had Vicar, Nun. They were one, one feet. You, Steve, and I had you down as a Vicar, Owen. <laughs> uh, you had me down as a Vicar as my, like, yeah. dream job. <laughs> dream job. And then I suddenly realised, oh, it's dream job. Yeah. Not the job we think you should be 
doing? You think I should be a vicar? What the yeah. fuck is that about? I've been out drinking with you, mate. Trust me, you should be a vicar. I'm a, uh, the fuck? <laughs> Fucking vicar. <laughs> Oh, God. Can I mention I'm naked, Owen, apart from my pants? What? You can, but I don't see the relevance. I'm just trying to change the subject. <laughs> not not naked, then, technically. No. I thought... I, I, I came up with a few ideas. First, the one I mm. thought of was Dinosaur Supervisor at Jurassic Park. Yes. You only get one job, of course. Um, but also, you get to work with dinosaurs. I mean, the problem is you inevitably die, either from being eaten or stomped on by a big dinosaur. Because, you know, chaos theory. Because nature finds a way and all that. Uh, but I bet it would be an awesome, like, six months to work in Jurassic Park. Uh, particularly before it opens and you get all the punters there. Uh, I did ask Elisa about this. And she suggested flying a spaceship. Which is where I sort of got the idea for um, Interstellar from. But she said, in Alien. And I was like, well, A, they're a mining crew. So that's really your job. You're a miner. And B, mm. they are predestined to bump into the crashed engineer's ship and come across a xenomorph. So I don't think that would be a very nice job at all. I asked her what her, like, dream jobs would be, trying to come up with some ideas for myself, because I was, I was struggling with this one to begin with. I was struggling to come up with ideas. She came up with two. She said she would be the crab who teaches mermaids to play music under the sea in Little Mermaid. Oh. Yeah, or riding around on horseback all day, rounding up wild humans for experimentation in Planet of the Apes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd get a divorce, I would. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. That is almost it for this week's podcast, and just to recommend some stuff for people to watch in the week ahead, I'm going to go over to Netflix, where Jurassic World has just been put on there. Um, Owen? So there's this new short film that's out called Raka which you might have heard of. Uh, it's been released by Oates Studios. Now, Oates Studios are Neil Blomkamp's um, kind of secretive production studio. They come up with ideas, I think. The, the, the main premise of Oates Studios is they come up with ideas rather than produce films. But what they've done is they've made a short movie um, which stars Sigourney Weaver, uh, amongst other people, but she basically leads a resistance, a human resistance, against the alien overlords that have enslaved humanity. It's about 20 minutes long. It's really quite, like, high-end for a short movie. It looks just spectacular. Um, very, very much a Neil Blomkamp-directed short movie. Um, you know, he's the guy who did District 9 and Chappie and Elysium and stuff like that. Uh, it's free to view on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search for Oats Studios, uh, it's called Volume 1 Racker. Uh, I think their plan is to do other short movies at some point or little tiny things. I think that I saw an interview with Neil Blomkamp. He's envisioned it as a series of shorts as opposed to a uh, an advert for a feature-length movie at some point. Um, but he's very much... In complete creative control of this. There's no studio input beyond Oat Studios. Free to watch on YouTube. If you like it and you want to pay them some money so they can keep making others, you can buy it from Steam. If you've got a Steam account, just buy it on there. Um, but like I say, it's free to watch on YouTube. As a poor, broke student, oh, woe is me, uh, I watched it for free on YouTube. Um, and I suggest people give it a go. If you like his other stuff, if you particularly, particularly like District 9, 
you're probably going to like this. It's very good. Okay, and Paul? I'm going to do two, but in much less time than Owen took. Yeah. <laughs> both, both hot at the moment. A lot of buzz around these. First one's the Berlin Syndrome, which is on Curzon uh, uh, Home Cinema at the moment for a couple of quid. Um, actually, it's probably a tenner. It's a dark hostage horror thriller. Loved it. Definitely my top ten at the end of the year. And the other one is The Lure, which is the Polish erotic mermaid comedy musical horror. And if that doesn't suck you in, bearing in mind I fucking hate musicals, that's on DVD at the moment. Definite top ten of the year. Absolutely amazing. Both of those, you should definitely hunt them out. I just want to suggest one other one that came through from um, Liam, because he talked about this on a podcast earlier in the year. Um, about a, It's a documentary that he suggested called Blood Brother, which is also on Curzon Home Cinema. It's £2.20 at the moment, which seems... None of our listeners are going to have Curzon Home Cinema, I mean, don't we? Don't know. Okay, but it's a, it's a documentary which is about a priest who he said does his best to help poor slash sick slash addicted kids in Ukraine. Does um, he fuck them? Well, that's the thing. That, I don't know if people remember the episode where Liam talked about this documentary. He says this guy will either end up a saint or a war criminal. It's, it could go either way. So it seems very interesting. And like I say, two pence twenty. I'm mm-hmm. Curzon Home Cinema at the moment called Blood Brother. Okay, that is it for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Next week, me and Owen will be back with Callum. Yes, and Transformers 5 and... And Baby Driver. Yeah. Quick preview, did you like Baby Driver? Loved it. Excellent. Great fun. We'll also, the week after, have a live recorded episode um, with me, Tony, Brooker, and possibly Steve, maybe. Possibly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for joining us. Head over to the website in the meantime, uh, failcritics.com, see what's going on there, and join us next week for more podcasting. Also, Paul has done another episode of Underground Night with James Mullinger. That's available on your iTunes and Acasts and other podcast places. Go and get that listened to. And not, it's not available through the Fail Critics feed anymore. You have to subscribe no. to Underground Night, so find us on... I don't know, iTunes, whatever podcast app you use, we're we're on them all. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with contributions from different guests every week, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit, remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics, on iTunes and all good podcast apps, or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review, and why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Run and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. But yes, um, so the news, um, two fairly big things have happened well this week, the first of which is that the directors of the Han Solo standalone movie, um, Christopher Lord and... The other one who wrote um, and did the Jump Street movies and the Lego movie have left the project. Um, differences being creative. That's the reason they've been cited. Shoot, shoot, shoot. shoot. Do you want to do that again? Steve, because that's fucking shambolic. That was, that was, even by our own standards, that was terrible. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Yeah.
Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.